You are listening to the Wildlife Photography Podcast with Rob Reed and Josh Galicki, bringing together the love of nature and photography. Episode 13. We talk about the use of flash in wildlife photography with a special guest. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Wildlife Photography Podcast with me, Rob Reed, and my co-host, Josh Galicki. Hi, Josh. How's it going? Hey, good, Rob. Great to be with you again. Yeah, it's good to see you. We well, it's been a, been a while again, hasn't it? It's amazing how time flies in between these episodes that we record. I mean, what what, what have you been up to? It has, you know, I've been shooting a lot. You know, it the summer heat is on, and there's a lot going on in the backyard. Got some green herons, snowy egrets, great blue herons, young osprey, which have fledged. They're diving, practicing their hunting skills. So, been spending a lot of time with them and stuff in the pollinator garden, some macro work and the like. So, it's been great. And I got my processing mojo back. So, I've been processing images from this past spring and winter time, and just about ready to call Shetland. I'm kind of scared. It's like I was, was going to say, have you started on Shetland yet? <laughs> Not yet. I'm intimidated. <laughs> I'm looking at the hard drive right here, and it's it's quite scary. <laughs> yeah, how many was it? Nearly forty thousand pictures or something. You came back forty-five thousand. Forty-five. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know I came back with twenty, and I wasn't shooting all the time like you. <laughs> it was crazy. <laughs> and talking about uh, Shetland, we we've, we've got a special guest on uh, today, which we and we're going to be talking about uh, the use of flash in wildlife photography and somebody's phone's going sorry about that <laughs> i think it was me last time wasn't it <laughs> probably it I, was. Or my you, phone went it last might have time. been yeah we might yeah, have to cut was. that part out oh no we'll leave it in it's, you see it's you know we just we just roll with whatever happens plus it was so it's, it's a spam call from xfinity i mean come on you know i don't want their crappy cable so they can keep it <laughs> So where was I? Oh, yes. So we're going to be talking about Flash. And I'm really glad that we're joined by your partner in crime uh, when you went to Shetland, because you went to Shetland with with with, with this chap. We're joined by uh, Kurum Khan. Um, hi, Kurum. How's it going? Hey, hi, Rob. Hi, Josh. Hey, Kurum. Forward to calling Shetland, which is 40,000 images. Oh, boy. You know, yeah. I still got to get through spring and uh, stuff like that. But yeah, good to be here, guys. Thanks for having me. No, it's, it's it's good to have you on. I mean, we've been meaning to to, to get you on and uh, and and have a chat with you, particularly about this subject, actually, um, yeah. because I know you know you and you in particular. I've been certainly with with the competition with Wild Wild Art Photographer of the Year. You know, I've, I've noticed some of your pictures coming through there, uh, and the use of the subtle use of flash. Uh, you know, on some of the images, and I, I don't know one in particular. You know, your your skunk in the backyard from a a year or yeah. so ago. Um, yep. You know, was was one that particularly sort of uh, caught my attention. Um, so I thought, you know, you'd be the the ideal person to get on and and for us to have a good chat about, you know, the use of flash in in wildlife photography. Yeah, I mean, right. Josh, Josh and I have um, have talked about and touched on this a couple of times, you know, and I think that it's something that uh, some people find quite intimidating actually, uh, and and find difficult to to understand. Uh, in enough in enough depth to be confident with its use, so I thought it would be a good sort of subject to to get to grips with. Um, okay, yeah, yeah, we can we can definitely whatever knowledge I have uh, about flash and its use, try to share uh, in this uh, talk, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, I mean, Josh, it's, uh, 
Flash isn't something I use a lot of. I mean, I'm not, you know, I know how to use it. I'm not afraid of using it. I'm not intimidated by it. But it's not something that comes into my photography a lot. I mean, how about you? Is it? I know that you've used it quite a lot in the past, you know, mainly sort of fill in when you're photographing birds in sort of wooded woodland environments and forest environments. Yeah, that's right. Mostly for fill flash for songbirds, you know, underneath the forest canopy. Macro, almost always I have flash when I'm shooting macro and also for camera trapping. So I, I use it a decent amount, you know, probably I'm 60% without flash, 40% with flash. Um, and I have to say, you're absolutely right, Rob. And, you know, flash is very much misunderstood, I think, by a lot of photographers. In addition to that, too, one of the challenges for me uh, it's the physicality of it. You know, it's, you, you're not just going out with a camera body and a lens. You have to go out with a lot more gear on top of your camera, or if you have uh, off camera flash. So it actually, it, it weighs you down and you need to do a lot of pre-planning before it. So um, that, you know, in some ways I need to be prepared and it holds people back from using it. You know, not only is it misunderstood, people just don't want additional gear holding them back in the field. So it's a challenge. But I think in certain types of photography, macro, fill flash in dark environments, uh, camera trapping, you absolutely need it. Yeah, I mean, it kind of it, it elevates pictures and it takes them to another place, doesn't it? And actually, when you start understanding flash and how it works and how it can add value to your images, I think you can start creating things that other people don't take. Because it's understanding how, you know, that extra sort of pop of light can change things so dramatically. I mean, Kuram, what's what's your experience of a flash? How did you start using it in the first place? And you know, sort of explain a little bit, perhaps, about your 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 journey with the use of flash. So, as Josh said, you know, one of the big things for me when I first got into photography, wildlife photography, was mainly we were shooting on telephotos. And it was birds, basically, because that's what we had. And when we got into songbirds, you know, the whole concept of, you know, you, you're shooting these birds in dark forests and you're, you're trying to get these small birds in back. I'm, I'm talking about seven, eight years ago, uh, 10 years ago, and there was absolutely no light. So, you're, you know, in the cameras back then, you know, they were pretty good, but you couldn't do... Uh, what we can with the ISO, you know, and so learned, saw a couple of people and then basically realized that, okay, if you do flash with songbirds, you can get away with, you know, faster shutter speeds, lower ISOs and get that, you know, crispiness in the plumage of the birds. And you can, you know, using a low flash, a low shutter speed, and, you know, a faster flash allows me to basically freeze the motion the way, uh, you know, a faster shutter speed would without jacking up the ISO. So that's when I first started experimenting. The problem was, you know, you had to have, you had to separate the flash from your camera. So you had to put in a, a rig to elevate the flash. Then you had to have wires attached to your camera. Then you had to have a flash, you know, battery pack so you could keep pace with recharging so you had to have another one so the next thing you know you're walking there with a tripod big camera 600 millimeter a rig a huge flash a better beamer to direct your light and a cord going the next thing you know is like oh my god this is you know somehow i'm losing 
the you know the joy of photographing so I, I kept it basically for songbirds mainly in dark environments and then from that's how I started eventually when I picked up macro you know started using it in, in that and then that's how it generally progressed and as time went on you know flash usage got better you know the flash units are smaller you don't have to have these big rigs attached long wires attached so it definitely got you know a lot easier but it was mainly the reason why i started was to photograph small songbirds uh in dark forest and and you know if you do flash and you like if you shoot these birds in these colorful small wood warblers and you really don't use flash right you're basically we're kind of doing a disservice because their plumage would not pop the way it would with with flash uh, so that's how I feel about it. You know, it, it, it helps a lot in creating, you know, basically that's how, that was the first thing that I realized that, you know, my images were sharper, crisper, had more contrast and, uh, you know, everything from that nature. Mm. Uh, you yeah. know, I mean, you've, it, you've made it, so many, you've brought up so many interesting points in that, you know, short description of mm. how, you know, you started with flash and started applying it to your photography but i mean let's let's go let's kind of take things back right to sort of basics of of, of probably where most people listening to this um will get their sort of understanding of flash and mine was from those from those days of sort of 35 millimeter films of those little instamatic cameras you remember with the little bulbs on the top where they used to go off and then they used to turn around and then you have to put it in you but anyway you know how terrible those pictures looked with with that flash because it was the flash that was illuminating the scene rather than any ambient light at all. Uh, and it was so close to the, well, not the sensor, but the the, the actual film plane of the, uh, you know, the lens of the camera that the lighting was so flat. And I think that's where most people sort of get their initial understanding of flash from and that, it, that flash is actually there to illuminate the whole scene. Whereas what, you know, you're alluding to there and talking about is, uh, and I think this is where flash, you know, really comes into play and really makes a big difference is when you're, when it's a, an additional form of lighting, not the primary source of lighting necessarily. So what you're doing is, in, in essence, uh, you are exposing to a degree for a level of the ambient light that's available. And then you're using the flash to give an extra element uh, of light and fill in to really make that image come alive and as you're saying as you were saying you know pick out those details make the colors pop a little bit more freeze the action uh when you're using a slower shutter speed which is something i we, we should come on and talk about because this is you know a concept that you know perhaps pe some people don't um, necessarily understand totally is the duration of the flash and how that can you know help you freeze motion rather than using shutter speed to do it as as a lot of the hummingbird garden hummingbird studios um setups tend to rely on them we can come on and we can talk about that because i think that 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 explains the concept of flash duration and using it for exposure really 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 well um mm -hmm. and i think the other thing that you touched on as well was removing the you know it, it's sort of separating the flash and the and the lens to a degree so you you have 
you know, you, you've got this sort of, it, it's not a direct, you've got this sort of different direction of light. So you haven't got, it's not coming directly from the, the same sort of area as the lens. So eye your eye effectively, you know, the, the, the flash is, you know, slightly, you know, off camera, if you like, by a bracket or some sort of remote trigger, which is what I prefer to use rather than having this huge heavy bracket, as you say, I don't really want to be carrying that around everywhere. But uh, yeah, so you make a, you make a number of interesting points uh, mm. there. And I think that's, you know, that's, that's a really good place to start. I mean, there was, <laughs> there were so many things that I was almost writing down <laughs> as you were you know, giving that. And, sort of and there's big, big differences too, between using flash as a main light where you're just illuminating everything with flash mm -hmm. and using flash as fill light where yeah. you're using ambient. I mean, you're just using a little bit of flash to augment the scene. Like Kerm, I think you were describing with the songbirds. Um, it, it, yeah, I mean, there's so many different methods uh, and ways to do it. One thing I'll say, which is interesting, and hand it back over to Kerm, I, I don't know what it is biologically, but when we get hit with flash, you know, you, you brought back memories, Rob, of, you know, opening up <laughs> Transformers and He-Man when I was a kid and getting whacked with the, those flashes. But, um, you know, we all get red eye, and I guess it's a biological thing, but I've noticed with animal birds in particular, when you have flash close to the axis of the lens and it shoots out, they get it. It's steel eye. It's actually like a bluish eye that comes out. Mm. I, it's, you know, I don't know what the reason is. It's gotta be some sort of biological reason, but uh, I always thought that was interesting. Yeah. Um, basically it depends on light, how light falls back from the retina, which is like the, consider the retina as a we have a doctor, Rob, we have a doctor here. Exactly. We have a doctor in the house. Yeah. So, <laughs> retina bounces the light back and in humans the way the lights bounce back is because of the level of the co cones and the rods and their ratio the mm. light bounces is red and, and in birds it's gray because the level is different and okay. which also basically they depend you know the cones and the rods what they do is some of them are you know typical light and low lighting conditions and the other ones in bright light conditions and they take and they transmit you know, into the optic nerve, into the brain, and that's how it works. So, you know, animals that generally see at night tend to have, you know, cones more than rods, you know, or vice versa, depending on if they're nocturnal or not. So you got to be a little bit more careful with nocturnal animals when using flash uh, as compared to day animals because of, you know, how their, uh, you know, receptors are in their eyes. Uh, but the first thing I would say is, you know, first thing is people ask, okay, when to use flash? My answer is, oh, well, not to use flash, right? So I would say don't use, if you've got a beautiful sunset as Josh has in the back of his house, you know, you don't need a flash. You, you have great light, utilize that. You know, if you have a subject that's basically in light and your background's in dark, that's a great opportunity for a low-key image, you really don't need a flash, you know, if you're shooting something into the sun, unless, you know, you really don't want to do silhouette. I think those are some of the areas briefly where you shouldn't really be using flash. If you're getting nice silhouettes, you don't really need to use flash. So those are some scenarios where you really don't have to use flash, you know, but beyond that, the basic thing would be to basically illuminate the subject a little bit, make it pop, give it a fill flash, and then, you know, let the basic you know the basic thing should be you should expose for the background and then have the flash uh, expose your subject and that should make your exposure uh generally equal 
in you know because if you if you don't expose for the background and you try to overexpose the background then you're gonna obviously the flash is gonna you know uh, make your subject too bright so some those are some of the things that people should start at you know when not to use flash and then you know when they want to use flash obviously as Rod Josh mentioned the reason to use a bracket is so that the light that goes in and the light that comes angle you know so it creates a better uh, view it creates a little shadow uh, at the bottom of the subject makes it you know emulate natural light where we people do have shadows and because if you have shadows that creates contrast contrast creates depth and your image will look better uh, which is why it's always preferred to shoot flash from an angle or from the height or from the right because that's what it does straight on flash it bounces from the subject back everything's illuminated mm. it, it's one of those like you know like you've seen a ghost or something so it's like absolutely it doesn't create that pop yeah you know? it, it, it completely lacks the depth doesn't yeah. it when it when it when it gets reflected straight back yeah. at you so, you know if you're you firing know. it from your point of view yeah so whatever you want to do do it at an angle no matter how you want to do it you know and, and then try to create like you know josh and i have shot together where you know we work okay i'll hold the flash and i'll hold the reflector you work your camera you know and the purpose of that is to have flash from one side and use the reflector to fill the shadows on the other side but still create a gradient so you know it emulates much more dramatic right Kerm, I, yeah you know. absolutely yeah. dramatic you know two things you know always capture an eye luminosity and contrast right so if you have great light it's going to capture an attention if you have great contrast it's going to capture your attention uh, so you know by creating angles you know you can create uh shadows and then that shadows basically uh, look like natural and that's the beauty of it right if you can make your flash look natural that's the best thing that's you, I, th that, I think that's that's the biggest secret actually with with know. uh with certainly with, in wildlife photography in particular is when you look at a picture and you can't necessarily tell to an untrained eye that there's flash involved, then I think that's the successful image Lovely. because yeah. it's subtle. Uh, you know, but I think going back to what you you were saying about you know using that sort of ambient light, I think a good trick for somebody who's just sort of getting into uh, using flash in their photography and is struggling a little bit with understanding how it all sort of the pieces of the pie come come together i think i what i would do is take a i i don't know just a, a you know a, a, i don't know a soft toy or, or something like that uh and put it in a in a reasonably well lit situation photograph it with a bit of natural light you know an overcast day or a you know a, a shaded room or something like that is is probably an ideal place uh expose for it you know as you see it in, as the scene is in front of you then add a bit of flash directly from the camera, see how that affects the image, and then move, start moving the flash away from you, start playing around with different power values, and see how that then starts affecting your image. Point. And when, you, when yeah. you start to understand how it then comes together with something, with, with a completely controlled environment that you have in front of you, you can then start putting those experiences to work in the field when yeah. you're looking at, when you're looking at, you know, subjects that are moving around, you don't have as much time. Uh, but a subject that, you know, like your woodland birds, for example, that need a, a pop of fill flash. Well, fine. Well, 
a flash on a bracket on a camera so it's slightly off off angle is fine for that uh, we're exposing for you know the ambient light we might stop it down a stop or two maybe uh, and and we'll let the flash do the rest so you've got that ambient light and then the flash is just coming in and and just as you say giving it that pop of contrast and color that it needs but you're not necessarily going to be looking directly at that image and going oh that's 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 flashed and if you it, want to it, see the difference then turn the exposure right down so you basically get a black photo without the flash and then let the flash do all the work and you will see the difference immediately yeah and and, and look to try to break the rules too i mean you know i've done this current we've been out in the field too where instead of exposing for the ambient you know we'll underexpose a little bit and let the fill flash work a little harder so you you tread that fine line of making the image look a bit flashed but what you get the surroundings around the bird are much darker a low-key effect if you will and that bird pops out more mm -hmm. um so you get more drama with that so yeah, I, Rob, I think what you just and, you know, Peter Bambusek, I think, mentioned this to us in a conversation a while back before he goes into, you know, the jungles and in Central America or Borneo. He plays around with, I think, his kids toys. He was telling us exactly right. that in yeah. different scenarios. So going into the field, he, you know, he gets to experiment at home and then he's got certain ideas and things that he can bring into the field, because obviously if you're shooting a a warbler or some sort of fast moving bird you don't have time to play around with that stuff so it's better to be to have that knowledge going into the field i mean mm -hmm. you, you certainly could do it the other way but it would just take a lot <laughs> a lot longer <laughs> yeah. I, be be prepared i think is yeah. the is the key here isn't it yeah you know elaborating on what both of you guys said so peter obviously yeah he does uh flash very very well another guy who does this very well is greg uh he's I think he lives uh, in Costa Rica, Greg Baxter. Yeah. yeah. So he does flash very well. And what I did was actually my son has a Batman figure that I've used to, uh, you know, practice with flash. And I want to go back to a little bit of basics if you have a little time. So, you know, when you're doing, generally speaking, you have, you're using a subject at home. And what Rob was talking about was, you know, same speed and play with the powers. He's talking about manual flash. Right. And you, you can have full power, which is one is to one. And then, you know, you increase it. One is to two, one is to four, one is to eight, one is to 16, you know, and so on 32 and 64 and 128. That's generally most flashes go. And as you go, you know, the flash gets faster, the duration gets shorter and the light gets weaker. But those are all manual flash. So, you know, whatever light you get and it comes back, a lot of that will depend on the flash, the shutter speed of the camera. Uh, most people want to use what is called TTL flash. Uh, and TTL flash is important because TTL flash takes into account if a subject is moving. So if somebody's using manual flash at one fourth the power, right, one over four, then it, at a certain distance, flash, people have to remember flash a linear relationship, so it's a square root. So if you increase the distance, it's not like you have to go from one four to one two. You may have to increase the power even more. So as the subject is moving on a manual flash, you have to control the power. The advantage of using TTL is that as the subject moves, the camera takes into account the distance because through the lens. So it fires a little beam, the beam goes, hits your subject, comes back into the camera, the camera meters for it, and then it dials in the flash power and you can control it with exposure compensation 
but that's how TTL uh, generally works. And if the distance is further, the light it takes for the flash to come back is longer. So the exposure is done that way. So the camera will try to raise the power of the flash. One of the things that I learned that people didn't know is like, okay, you use TTL flash, but what kind of metering going on? So as of, you know, is it spot metering? So is it, is it matrix metering? Uh, you know, matrix by I mean the whole scene, different cameras call it differently. So flashes don't do spot metering. So if you are using TTL flash, most cameras, you know, whether it be it Canon, Sony or everything, as far as I'm concerned, and I've done some research about it, will use matrix metering. Hmm. Using matrix metering, the problem with matrix metering, you have to remember, they're going to try to expose and make everything gray. So your flash exposure in TTL is going to try to make everything gray. So if you have a bright subject, it's gonna to try to make it darker. If you have a darker subject, it's gonna to try to make it brighter, just like any other exposure. So when using TTL flash, which is generally what's recommended for subjects that are moving, such as songbirds, because they're here in one branch and then they're on the other branch and then they're over there. DTL is recommended in you exposure compensate, but remember you're going to be doing matrix metering. So that's something yeah. I, I thought. Karim, let me ask you this to your point. Is it fair to say, and I've always used kind of this model, if I'm shooting a subject that is not moving and I can determine the distance between myself and this subject, the variability, I'll use flash as a main light to, con if mm -hmm. I'm, I'll use manual flash. If mm -hmm. I can't control the distance to the subject, I'll use TTL. Is that the general principles that That's you use based on what you're saying? Right. You, I mean, you can, you can use manual, but if the subject moves away, obviously it's going to be a little darker. If it comes closer, it's going to be a little brighter. So you can do that, but generally for, you know, subjects like, uh, that aren't moving, you know, you want to use the, like a macro subject that you and I photograph, right? Frog, turtle sitting there, you come across it, yeah. So manual is absolutely fine. The the turtles we photograph, what was it, the Eastern painted, you know, in, in the summer, in the spring, you know, we use manual because, I mean, let's be honest, that turtle wasn't going anywhere, you know? <laughs> Waffle, you know? Not very quickly anyway. <laughs> that guy was chill and sleeping away. Yeah, so, yeah, you got to use TTL, and then generally, generally, you know, I mean, we can talk about some rough basic settings to start with. You know, less is more. A lot of cameras are ISO invariant, so try to keep flash on the negative side. You know, you can recover shadows in today's age, you know, but if you blow up something, it ain't coming back. Yeah. What, what I would say about flash as well, and the thing I've noticed when I've used it is when you are using the higher ISO settings and, mm -hmm. you know, say you're, you know, going back to our woodland birds again mm -hmm. and you're at, I don't know, 6,400 or 12,800 mm -hmm. or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. at, a, at a level that you would expect some noise to start coming into the, the darker areas areas of the, of the image. When mm -hmm. you start introducing that little pop of flash, it's amazing how that improves Absolutely. The noise, the, yeah. the, you know, the, the, the noise situation at those higher ISOs. And if, if people actually want to check this out for themselves, that's where I would start. I would, mm -hmm. you know, as you were saying, I would start with, a, you know, just a, a small pop of weak flash in those situations and just see how that that improves the image, you know, literally from 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 a grain, uh, a noise point of view. 
Exactly. I mean, I what I what I'll normally do is if I see if I look at a scene as I'm walking in and the light is even, I'll go for you know generally I'll set up my eyes. Whatever I want to do, you know, I would probably speed sing, so you really don't want to worry about that. And then you can start your flash with TTL with a negative two exposure comp, and then go from there. If you see the lights moving, then I'll generally throw my ISO to auto ISO, do a negative two, and then control my shutter and control my uh, aperture, and then go from there. And then generally, what you people can experiment, and this even if they if if they like in Nikon's, you can do that. You can seal. I'll say, okay, my ceiling is 1600 ISO. And when you take the exposure and you do it with a flash, the ISO will drop, you know, once the detail kicks in and your image is cleaner. And even for the same ISO, such as 3200, with and without flash, the image is just cleaner. Yeah. As, as we're talking about this too, one thought came to my mind. When we expose for ambient light, it's mostly by a set of rules in the sense, you know, if, if we have bright whites, maybe we were down one stop mm -hmm. or, you know, if it's a cloudy day, we want to go high key, maybe we're plus two. But I, I think when it comes to flash, there's more variability. Flash to me is more to taste. And I think you, when you were talking current experiment, maybe start negative two with fill flash yeah. and move around from there. I find the difference between using flash and just using ambient light is flash uh, is more to taste uh, because you can use flash and not burn your highlights, but it could still look crappy or maybe it looks good. Um, a lot of it seems to be, or, or from my perspective, it's more to taste than when you're exposing for ambient light per se. Just my thought. Yeah. I mean, and the other thing to, to talk about as well is, uh, is shutter speeds and how that actually doesn't really play a huge part in flash exposure when we're when we're talking about exposure values you know we, we're just basically talking about aperture settings and iso because yeah. the flash duration is so fast compared to the shutter speed that we've got if you're using just flash to illuminate the cameras have sync speeds and you know interesting enough the sync speeds on some of my older dslrs were it was one two fiftieth of a second for the um R5 and I think even the R3, I think it's one two hundredth of a second. I don't know why this is canon, but um, you want to keep your shutter speed below that sync speed uh, if you're using flash primarily to illuminate or flash as a main light, we would say. Hey, Kerm, welcome back. Yes, very good. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> we, were, we were just talking about um, exposure values and how shutter speed doesn't play that big a part uh, when you're talking about using flash because of the flash duration is so much faster than the shutter speed that you're going to be using. So when you're, when you're considering, you know, when you're considering the overall exposure uh, in a scene, actually you can start to use that flash to start freezing motion and we can come on and we actually is a good point. I think we should come on and talk about um, because I learned this lesson, you know, fairly early on, that the and and you you sort of hinted at it earlier in one of your you know the things you were saying earlier uh, about the more powerful the flash output the longer the duration of the light uh, and the weaker the shorter the duration of light that's a really critical Fast. point if you are going to start using flash to um, freeze motion and the classic example of that is those studio backyard studio setups for hummingbirds that 
a lot of people may think it's the shutter speed that is freezing the motion of the wings, but that that's not the case. It's actually the duration of the flash. So in those situations, the flash is illuminating the vast majority of that scene. But it's not just one flash, is it? You were talking, we're talking about multiple flash setups. So one or two flashes on a background, you know, two or three flashes from various directions triggered at the same time, you know, on the bird itself. So it looks more natural. It looks like a more natural spread of sunlight, for example, but it's not. It's actually artificial light. But it's the duration of the flash itself which is freezing the motion of the bird's wings. And that has to be on a relatively low power to get, you know, that, that flash duration down to a level where it can freeze the motion. Yep. So that's, that's something that, that I, so I learned sort of fairly early on. And I, and I, yeah, I came across it when I was trying to backlight birds in the garden and when it was raining. And I, what I was trying to do is illuminate the raindrops make them like stars, completely underexpose the image to get the background completely dark, which meant I had to use a much more powerful burst of light from the flash to backlight them. And using the more powerful uh, burst of flash meant that the duration of the flash was longer. So I was getting blurred wings because I was trying to do them in flight, flying to and, fro, uh, to and from feeders. And so I was getting blurry wings. And, and I initially i couldn't quite understand what what was going on and then of course it dawned on me well of, of course you know the more powerful the flash the longer the duration i'm going to get some blur so i need to turn the flash down mm -hmm. but then the ambient light was starting to 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 come into play which is what i didn't want so it was it is a it's always a it, that to me was actually quite a good lesson in learning about the relationship between ambient light and flash duration shutter speeds and all the rest of it and per personal opinion, I'll share this. This is Josh's opinion, caveat. But what you just described, Rob, I think is an aesthetically cool approach to an image. How many times uh, have we seen these uh, hummingbirds, the multi-flash setups? And I, I don't know, I'm just so, that's been so overcooked <laughs> over the years. It's, it's very hard to look at those images for me and say, oh, that's a nice image. Just because you know what's behind the image. And okay. it's really a studio shot, but... Uh, I don't know. I just think boring when I see those things, but that's just yeah. Boring. But I mean, it's it's understanding how it's done, isn't it? I think, and yeah. if if you yeah. can if you can explain how that's done, uh, you know, to people listening to this, it's not one eight thousandth of a second. Yeah, it's not one eight thousandth. It, it's yeah. it's the flash duration at one twenty thousandth of a second, one hundred yeah. thousandth of a second, whatever whatever it is, whatever flash power is used. But the lower the flash power, as we were saying earlier, the faster that happens. So yeah. that's what's used. That's what's used to to uh, to, yeah. to capture the motion. I mean, to freeze hummingbirds, you know. I mean, it's. I'm, I don't think of any bird species that probably beats its wing faster than a hummingbird does. You know, right off the top of my head. Yeah. So you know, in based on old cameras, even newer ones, some of the mirrorless can go up to one thirty-two thousand and stuff like that. But shooting a camera at 132,000, I can only imagine what your ISO needs to be, you know. <laughs> Big, yeah. Hideous. Hey, you know, I don't know why I bothered. So to Rob's, <laughs> you know, it's interesting, one over 128 of a second equals to one over 40,000 of a second. So in essence, if you're putting a flash at a subject and you're dialed down to one, one over 28, you're, you should have speak is effective of one fortieth of a second. So that's how quickly the light's going to hit. 
one over 64th is equal to one over one, one over 32,000, one over 32 is equal to one over 20,000, one over 16 is equal to one over 10,000. So one over 16 is not that much of, you know, it's in middle of the line kind of a flash. So if you're hitting your subject with one over 16, basically in essence, that's equal to a flash uh, shutter speed of one over 10,000, which is fairly good to yeah. freeze motion, you know, and, and, and the advantage of that is to keep ISO down so that your image quality, I mean, people rave about ISOs and this and that, and, and, you know, I, I love it. my camera can do this ISO, my camera can do that ISO. And I only, I'm like, that's okay. We're going to compare, you know, Josh shoots an R3. We're going to compare an R3. It, it's, it's a great camera for low light. The ISO quality of an R3 at 12,800 is not better than the ISO quality of an R3 and an ISO 100, period. Yeah. Right? ISO 100 on an R3 is better than ISO 12,800 on an R3. So that's where the flash comes in in order to freeze motion, keep your ISO down and have great image quality. And, and, and that's a classic, the hummingbird is a classic setup, right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, you see, ISO is a, is a great subject we ought to talk about <laughs> yeah. in the podcast, actually, yeah. because at the end of the day, I don't think you, you comparing apples with apples is really difficult when you're talking about ISO, because mm -hmm. if you're shooting something at, I don't know, ISO 12,800 or whatever, and you've got really good lighting conditions, for example, it's going to be much, much better than a, uh, an image you shoot at the same ISO, but in a, a shaded, darker environment, because you've Thanks. got more shadow to deal with. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's, it's, it's not just about the ISO level of the, You've, you're, you're setting on the camera. It's about the available light. Yeah, Absolutely. that is what affects the quality of the. There's image. so much so, to talk about. People don't even agree on how to say it. Some say ISO, I say, it, and some say ISO. <laughs> ISO, yeah, I don't. Pronunciation yeah. of it is. A, you say I potato, I say potato. It's <laughs> fine. <laughs> the the other thing about flash, like you know, speaking of that is one is a freeze motion, and the other one is that I've seen a really good artistic use of it is to have a very slow shutter speed and have enough amb ambient light so that you can actually do a motion blur. And at the end of it, have a high speed flash and freeze. And we've seen some great, you know, uh, This is image. the rear curtain sync you're talking about, yeah, rear curtain sync, the birds flying, and then, you know, have a streak of motion and then freeze them with a, you know, hit a flash right at the end of the exposure, creating that streak. It's a great artistic effect, you know, if done yeah. properly. Yeah. Uh, I, I, Great Absolutely. Image. I mean, if 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 people can imagine this, say you've got, I don't know, let's take one twentieth of a second, for example, and you've got a flying bird mm -hmm. and you're exposing for the ambient light. Now, we all know that one twentieth of a second, a flying bird is going to be a blurry image. And, mm -hmm. you know, it depends on, you know, how you pan and how it works out you know how that image that particular image works out most of them you'll be hitting the delete button but every now and again you get an interesting one but then if you add it in and this is what i'm talking about flash being a sort of iterative process really when you start with your basic image with your basic ambient light exposure and then you start adding in the flash elements if you add in a pop of flash right at the end of the exposure as, as Curran was saying you know that sort of rear curtain sync um you know flash setup then you you can end up with some really interesting shapes and forms formed yeah. by the ambient light and the motion that the camera is recording with that ambient light. And then you get that pop of flash at the end, as we were talking about earlier, which then freezes the motion in, um, entirely. And then you get that sort of 
that that sort of frozen uh, image right at the end. So you've got the combination of the two. And do you know, I when I used to do a bit of commercial photography, and I used to um, photograph conferences. And normally at the end of these sort of business conferences, they'll have a little party. And I used to do an interesting little trick with rear curtain sync flash when people would were, you know, they'd had a had a couple of beers afterwards and they'd be dancing and, and you know, letting their hair down. And I would I would expose for the ambient light and I would let it go for half a second or something like this. So you get this sort of dreamlike blur of these sort of people, you know, uh, dancing around the floor. And then you get this pop of flash at the end and it would just create, you know, that sort of still image. So you get this combination of the two. So it was almost like this sort of drunken haze, if you like, coming out, you know, in, in the image. And, and, and the electric spider. Yeah, exactly. Like, full exactly. And, and, it, and it worked brilliantly. But, you know, this is the sort of thing that we're referring to. I mean, you can you can apply that in wildlife photography quite easily. And yeah. I know some people do to great effect. I mean, I can yeah. think of, you know, th those diving kingfisher images, for example, where you've got that sort of streak of blur and then you've got that frozen bird right at the end. So it looks like it's got, you know trails of light yeah. and whatever come yeah, yeah. and, and that's how those images are done i've always wanted to do it with a, like a pileated woodpecker uh with its head or like a nuthatch or something coming down the tree you know with uh i've tried a couple times but not not successfully though it's it's a cool effect it really is like you know like you said if you're doing an exposure one twentieth of a second and there's blur and then you hit the flash at the end at one over eight power so the whole image is exposed at 120th and right at the end where the flash hit at 18, that's at one over 5,000 shutter speed. So it'll freeze it right at the end. And then the effect of motion and, you know, and to your point, it's been done, but man, if it's done right, it's still one of the, yeah. you know, great artistic effects of flash. So yeah, yeah definitely, you know, we, we can use to block, you know, stop motion with flash. In, in, in different ways, you know, fast subjects, everything frozen, or be a little bit more artistic and adventurous and have a streak of motion and then go from there. And something that I'd, I'd like to talk about, you know, mention is is a little burst of flash, which is stroboscopic uh, sphere that a lot of people, that's just really short burst in a one or two second interval. And you can dial down how many Hertz you want it each to be. And you know that was done well some of the moth shots that you've seen that moths are flying and then all of a sudden you see these five six different moths and you think that like well it's the same moth it's just you know one second exposure or four second exposure or whatever it was and then all you know in that four seconds the flash maybe fired 10 times or something right so yeah. That's another effect that can be done which is sort of on the I same that, principle. That, that's a really that's a really good way of explaining how yeah flash actually exposes the image so as you're saying you know the, the shutter is open for a second and then the flash is illuminating the same moth four or five times because it's gone off four or five times during the exposure and the moths in different parts of the frame so it actually looks like there are four or five moths yeah yeah i think that's a really good way of explaining it they, they must teach that in kindergarten in hungary i mean you see so many hungarian <laughs> photographers that make incredible usage of that technique to the point of yeah. perfection, almost some of the stuff we see, especially in some wild art. Yeah, yeah, there yeah. were a couple of them in wild art. They were like really, really cool. Uh, so, yeah, that's a, another great way of using flash, and you know that you can do in terms of freezing motion. Yeah. A yeah. question for you, Kerman. Mm -hmm. 
this is really controversial. It used to be a standard. Now people don't care as much, and I'd love to get your input on this. You know, Catch so um, in my profession, right, you know, every day you'll have had four reps come in and hand me pieces. Oh, we have this drug. It does this. We have this drug. It does this. We have this drug. It does this. It's like, okay. And the way you look at it is you say, okay, you are saying that this is an instrument or this is a medication and it is to pay. All right. Based on all right, this is your research. So you take a look at that and you research. So, you know, and, and then decide really what's going on. So the whole concept that people think is that, you know, does flash really harm? So one thing that everybody sort of okay with is that you use flash excessively or too much on animals that primarily see in the dark, it could potentially be harmful, at least transiently. Right, so that's the general consensus. So if you're flashing an owl at 2 a.m. in the morning and you're flashing it away, and that's just not good. So you're probably doing some sort of harm. Now, you know, there've been studies done actually, believe it or not, one of the best studies was actually done, you know, on the West Indian anole, which is a form of lizard. And the thing was that they found that the lizard was actually more uh, you know, it would have a more of a reaction to the shutter sound than to the flash itself. So that was, you know, in the theme that, you know, flash, nobody, you know, when used responsibly in, in short duration, short burst doesn't cause harm. There's another study. used as well, right? It's going through a diffuser for the most part in most cases, correct? Yeah. Exactly. There was another study done on Seymour's, which did the same thing. They found no significant difference in behavior of the bird you know general rule of thumb is you know in my experience i have used flash and i've seen that sometimes a bird will flinch you know if that's the case you know and if i do it again and it flinches i'll stop okay i'm not going to do it so i can see if i use a flash and i see the animal doesn't care you know then i will use it you know i'm not one of those who's going to press on the shutter and go to town you know Flash generally after one or two or three tops, the cells need to recycle. So you're not going to be just bursting anyhow. You, the camera's not going to, you're going to have frames which are not flashed. So general consensus is studies have not shown any harm. Obviously, it's, it's a hard subject to study. You know, difficult to have a control and a non-controlled environment to do this. However, if, you know, most of the consensus is it doesn't cause harm, use it responsibly. If you see an animal flinch, stop don't do it you know if animal doesn't then you go from there and then take your image you know you don't have to start flashing the bird for the next five hours right you can't you shouldn't do that but you shouldn't be photographing a bird for five hours straight anyhow but yeah. uh you know you're at that point you're altering behavior based on other things but the general consensus is that it's okay to use observe an animal if an animal has a problem walk away you know you know it just yeah. You approach an animal, and if the animal's afraid and it flies away, you know, you shouldn't be chasing that bird from, yeah. you know, from bad field craft if you're doing that. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I think this, this, this does come down to that sort of field craft thing and just being sensible about it. I mean, yeah. you know, you know yourself that if somebody is using a flash and taking a picture of you in reasonably bright conditions, you are not going to notice that flash. No. Whereas if you are in a dark room, 
and you look directly at a flash and somebody takes a picture with it, you, you know, that does affect you. So there's, exactly. you know, the, the animals are going to have the same reaction or similar yeah. reactions in the same sort of circumstances. So if you are photographing a bird in daylight and you're using a very sort of low powered flash as fill in, that's going to have far less effect on that bird than if you're photographing an owl at night, for example. And but what I would say about owl photography uh, in particular, because I guess this is probably one of those sort of controversial areas where people think that, um, oh, you know, it's at night, it's dark, and then all of a sudden it's got this burst of light, thinking it's this huge, great big boof of yeah. uh, of light hits it like a, you know, like a freight train. It's that's not the case. I mean, we, we, you're looking at very, very low-powered flash uh, bursts uh, there that, that mm -hmm. really the animal's not going to be that if affected by if at all. Um, so that is that is one thing to say, because I know people that, that do this and run workshops that, that photograph owls with flash, and they do it very, very responsibly. Uh, so I think you, you've just got to use common sense. You know, exactly. if you're going to photograph an owl with a, you know, with a one-to-one, burst of flash that we're talking about manually that's you know at short distance well that's not on if you're you know if you're you're using a very low powered flash you know and it's not in its face directly you know you just got to be sensible yeah 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 absolutely the whole purpose you know of flash is to make your stuff it's very when you do night photography and you're using owls it's very, very tough to make an owl. For I'll use Alan as an example, you know, in, in the pitch black darkness to look good. I've done that. I've done that in Costa Rica. We were on a night walk. There was an owl, and we did use flash. The owl was not perturbed. It didn't care. But the images, no matter how I did, just had didn't have that feel to it. That like, okay. So mostly, you know, when you make it look natural, it, it looks good when you make it look unnatural it doesn't look good so you know when when you have an animal in the pitch darkness and you're using light it's going to look artificial so yeah. you know, it, it's almost near impossible to make an owl look natural when you're photographing it in the middle of the night so it, it's a tough task to begin with but i think the best advice in this is be responsible observe your animal if it's okay you know do your thing and and, and don't push your luck too much if you feel the animals perturbed, let it be. Don't, you know, the image isn't worth it at that point. I, I think yeah. the artificiality of it too comes out, especially when the flash is coming directly at the animal. I mean, Absolutely. ideally, from my standpoint, if you can get it, when you use flash, if you use it as an, at an angle, that's where you bring out shadows. You introduce side light, you introduce the drama. If light is coming straight at the animal, it's going to be flat. It's going to look artificial and it's going to look boring, right? So, I guess always think about that too, the direction of the flash and what kind of angle you want to bring it. Sometimes flash is used. I think it's an incredible look when you uh, place the, especially for remote camera trapping, when you have the flash behind the animal and you just create your own artificial. I was just, a, just about to say exactly the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. It looks amazing. Yeah. yeah. I was just about, Cause I've done this with birds as we were talking about earlier when we were talking about flash duration and, you know, uh, you know, image sharpness. And, it, you know, that's something that I, you know, that I really enjoy playing around with is, is to, is to shove a flash behind something. And, and I've, I've done this with people as well. You know, when, when I photograph people sometimes to actually put a flash behind somebody 
is actually so effective because as you were saying josh you get this rim of light around them it's almost like almost like a halo effect but you know it illuminates the sort of you know the, the hair on their head and this it, it just creates that separation from the background and, and lifts an image from the ordinary to the more extraordinary yeah yeah it, sure. it really does so so play around with those sorts of things um and how do you i mean personally what i prefer to do is to have remote uh, flashes which I control from a little box which I put on the hot shoe of the camera. Is that how you guys do it, or do you do you use brackets more commonly? We've done both actually. You know, um, more recently we've done sort of put the flash you know on its own stand to the side and not really bothered with the bracket stuff. Uh, especially, I think this uh, this spring we did that. Uh, we did use flash and we had it to the side on a different, and then basically we had it attached uh, to us to, uh, you know, via a transmitter. And that's how we, you know, yeah. use direction. One of the, I think one of the things that comes to mind was the white throated sparrow, uh, thing. And that was done. The flash was done from the, from the left side or the right side. I don't know, from one yeah, of the we side. had a light stand, I think for that curve. Light yeah. Stand use that so mostly we've done that uh, it's when you're walking around a lot and everything you know and, and, and that's that's sort of easy to have it on a bracket we've done that as well you know but bracket is good because if you're shooting small birds right there uh, but it doesn't create the same drama as directional yeah. light work in you know in, in bracket bracket is helpful because it does create because it just you know it's a it's, you'll get a little bit of shadow so that, you know, there's a gradient to it and, and that looks very well. But the other stuff is that if you don't, then, you know, you, you're going to, if you go from the side or left or right or back, you know, it just creates an extra dimension to an image. And that's like, oh, okay, you know, this is different. This is not something you normally see. Yeah. So and and how, many, have... how, many, how many flashes do you tend to use? Uh, you can is it use just a, just a one, or or do you do you, do you sometimes use a multi? So setup? it depends on what you're trying to create, right? You can use one, you can use two, you can use three, you can use four, right? Whatever you want to do, you can do. So going back to that, you know, image of the skunk in the backyard, mm. that was three flashes, right? And you know, I've generally when I'll do camera trapping, I'll do two. Um, you know, you want to have the main light and then you want to have the fill-in light because you obviously can't hold a reflector. And if you want to expose, you know, your background, you can have a background for the third light, you know, third flash for the background. Mostly for camera trapping two birds, generally we go with one. Uh, you can do two if you want. There's nothing stopping you, you know, but ideally what I would recommend is have whatever side you pick, you know, one side should have double the power compared to the other side. Again, create shadows and yeah. shadow it contrasts and contrast catches the eye. Yeah. Do, do you know you 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 sort of describing how you set up those flashes with that sort of uh, two to one type ratio, uh, you know, power ratio takes me back to how I learned about flash uh, and the use of it. And it wasn't through wildlife photography. It was through portrait mm -hmm. photography books. Uh, and I think that's a really good place for people to start, actually, because portrait photographers really understand that relationship so well. Uh, and that sort of two to one 
you know ratio that you were talking about is used a lot in portrait photography that's really where it comes from you know so you have one flash on one side half the power of another flash mm -hmm. so that sort of flash on the left if you like uh mm -hmm. you know might might be your main light and then you have this sort of half powered fill-in flash on the other side and then that creates you know at least some contrast and some shadow areas to give the image some depth which is what you need yeah and i think you know so i that's what i would recommend people do if, if you want to understand those sorts of uh relationships uh, and and how that sort of that that light work sorry i've got a shield bug walking up the side of my screen because it's it, when we're recording get, this get it's actually flash out rob get your macro <laughs> exactly now when we record this it's quite late at night for me so it's dark and i've got the windows open because it's warm and these insects are coming in attracted to the light and i've got the shield bug wandering across the top of my screen it's pretty cool <laughs> <laughs> anyway awesome. so what was I, I was talking yeah so it, people go and go and check out some portrait yeah. photography uh, and how they use the flashlights and it gives you a really really good understanding um of of how they use and set up their lights and i think that 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 you know you can we can use this particularly when we're talking about portrait type work with uh, birds and animals as well so yeah, yeah it's really good light always better than light straight on you know yeah no question. how what angle where experiment one of the going back to some of the things you know you said earlier the best thing if people who want to get into it is get a figure you know i'm not sure what kind of a figure or toy or whatever you want to do right you know my son has a lot of figures so they're easily accessible for me play around see the angle experiment between different shutter speed different flash speeds right experiment with the angle of the light you know right left top bottom whatever you want to do play around with you know with your Aperture usually doesn't have that much of an effect. Play around with the shutter speed and see what that does. You know, do the curtain sinks and, and, and play and practice and see what TTL does and what manual does. And, you know, literally four or five sessions, people, will, it's not that hard. It's really not that I think I think it's fair to say too. We were just talking about multi-flash versus maybe using one flash in the field or the two-to-one ratio. I think it's fair to say most photographers use multiple flashes on remote setups where they're camera trapping. Most yep. most what I've seen, if it's a macro or bird, it's one it's one flash, and then sometimes a reflector. So you have a reflector on what this is more so for macro frogs, insects, and so forth you'll have a flash from one side, a reflector on the other, you can do that for snakes. Uh, but most people typically shoot with one flash, unless it's maybe a hummingbird setup or a remote, remote trigger, remote camera setups where you're leaving a whole setup in the field. Maybe you want to illuminate the animal on both sides, but you want to show some of the environment because it's going to be dark. So maybe one flash hits the trees in the background and, and so forth. But uh, that's typically how I see it. No, absolutely. Yeah, there, there was another point I wanted to make actually. When because when people start thinking about these sort of, we start talking about multiple flash setups, and we all know how expensive some of those speed lights are for you know for, for the main brands. So you know Canon or Nikon or whatever. You know, if you want to buy their branded speed lights, I mean, I don't know what they are now in you know in, in dollar terms, but I guess you're looking at maybe four hundred pounds, so maybe five hundred. Yeah. US, yep. something for like the, that. For the for, higher end ones, right? Yeah, yeah, for the higher end ones. And, and when you start talking about that sort of money, it gets quite eye-watering if you think, well, I'm going to need, these guys are saying, well, I sometimes use three or four. 
Well, I don't want to spend all that money on those. My advice is you don't need that. Uh, there are some really good third-party flashes which will do nine, probably probably ninety percent of what a, a you know a brand dedicated speed light will give you, and most of that extra ten percent you'll never need anyway for like a fraction of the cost. I mean, I picked up I don't know set of three I think uh, flashes which I can use the remote controller for probably two hundred pounds the lot. Mm. You know, something something like that. So Godox is pretty good. We've used that. Yeah. That's a good third party, Anna. Yeah, I think the I can't Godox, remember what these are. But... A couple of other ones like the Chinese ones, Young Neo and Young Neo, like that's that. what I've got. That's what I've got. Yeah. You can use fifty bucks in, you know, was the manual one. And that's some of those is are the ones, you know, I've used in Hummingbirds and you know, Godox I'll use, but I had used Godox more when I was with Sony, um, but now that I'm back with Nikon, I used the Nikon ones. I had them lying around from 10, 12, you know, when I first started, and, and they worked just fine. But Godox is really good. Uh, Young New is really good. Uh, I think Young New also has one that is TTL, too, uh, as well, and they, they generally the manual ones that you get are pretty good. Uh, yeah, there's some other brands as well I think will do TTL quite well, and even that sort of high speed sync stuff as well, they'll, they'll, yeah. They're, they're One compatible. trick that's important for everyone to know if you're doing uh, remote camera setups, uh, you need to have a specific type of flash, one that can go into a sleep mode and immediately react. I know, like the, the Nikon, is it, what is it? SB, Kerm, S you, you would know. SB something. So it has an SB28, but they don't SB make them any. Yeah, so they have uh, they have the inbuilt capacitor which holds its charge, so it doesn't need to be woken, uh, and it can fire right away. So when you have an animal that triggers a camera trap, it fires right away. So yeah. what because of that, you know, it's you can it's almost near impossible to find SP twenty eights because they stopped making them a long time ago. However, a lot of other companies are now making one in in the camp traption itself. The company has a flash which I actually use. And it, it, they've built a flash, and, and it's, a, it's a British company, and those flash have inbuilt capacitors. So I, because my, I fried my SP28s, you yeah. know, and I, I still have two, <laughs> they're on the way out. But yeah. yeah, if you don't do that, everything's a butt shot. You know, that cougar that comes into the frame, you're looking at its butt on the way back. But, by, the, yeah. by the time your flash is woken up, yeah. <laughs> it's a good point, yeah. actually. Yeah. So it's yeah. a good point in your mind. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And the other thing, you know, which I don't think we mentioned is when we're using this, use a diffuser, right? Yeah. So it, it is, you know, there's no such thing. I mean, you can use a flash without a diffuser, but it's just harsh. So, you know, light, when there's natural light, it's going to be harsh. When you diffuse the light, it becomes softer and the softer depicts the color much more uh, beautiful. I mean, Josh was showing me some image the other day of a uh, of a bumblebee, and you know, it's nicely diffused, and and, and the whole thing is just yeah. beautiful. It wraps around the animal better that, too when your yeah. light is diffused. I, I, th I think I think a really good way of explaining it is 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 look at a subject in harsh sunlight, and then look at something that's you know that's lit with say high cloud. In a, yeah. on a bright day and look at how the light is different and you're doing exactly the same thing because what you're doing by uh you know introducing a diffuser is breaking up those light particles and as you're saying josh spreading them around more evenly around and your make, subject yeah 
making the shadows less harsh less harsh so yeah it looks and, and the thing is you, and actually you can you can start playing around with a level of diffusion as well if you want to get really nerdy about it and experimental um because there you know there are diffusers and there are diffusers i mean all mm -hmm. sorts of things i mean you could i love those little mini soft boxes you can yeah. go over and you just shove over the, the, the front i love those I mean, um, people have produce a really nice light and but trust me we've taken those whole umbrellas and <laughs> And, and, and you need two people or a very strong arm <laughs> to get that thing in position. Shoot, and then it's his turn. It's my turn to shoot it, and then he has to hold that thing. Uh, and I'm like, just you know, they produce light. That's great, but I'm I'm like I'm almost over them. Yeah. What's the little <laughs> one? The Luma Luma. Uh, uh, Luma like, cube. No, oh, Luma Luma cube, but it's like a fourteen by fourteen, or it's a. It's a smaller diffuser. I forgot the name. Well, I for, in any event, I think if you have a diffuser that works, right, Kerm, then it. it's not too big. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, get it. Well, I, I know a lot of the macro photographers, they make their own, don't they? Yeah. You know, yeah. They make their own diffusers. And they're typically the best users of flash. I mean, most macro photography incorporates flash. And I find that they seem, at least the macro photographers, the ones that specialize in it, they seem to be really the experts when it comes to flash. Yeah. yeah, and and they can spend a fortune on their flash setups. I mean, you know, you got those little, I like, you know, the, like the the uh, ring that sits around your lens, and then you have the sort of two or three little flash units that sit on that itself, the little macro flashes. They are just so expensive. I think yeah. they're, they're hundreds of pounds each. Those things. Well, so you can you can spend a fortune on those. Young Neo makes a good one, which is like you know, a knockoff version of one of those. So yeah. you know. I've, I think I have it here in the back. You know, I've, yeah. I've I've had it for like seven, eight years. I've used it like never. So, <laughs> <laughs> and then and then there are the ring flashes, which you really can get quite cheaply as well. You know, yeah. I mean, thirty, forty pounds, maybe sort of forty, fifty US, something like that. You know, you yeah. can get you know the the, the ring fa flash, which again, a lot of portrait photographers, a lot of fashion photographers use because it creates that uh, an interesting lighting effect. Um, but basically what that does, it, 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 it surrounds your, the outside of your lens basically, and creates this sort of, um, uniform light, uniform flash all the way around the lens to try and create a, you know, a, a sort of uniform light on the subject itself. I just find, I find those a little uninspiring. I think, you know, again, the lighting could be quite flat. It's very good if you're documenting things, it's like forensic photographers use those ring flashes quite a lot don't they in sort of crime scenes mm -hmm. and this that and the other um it, it you know if that's your style of photography and you're looking to document things like you're looking i don't know to take pictures of moths for example for a, a photo guide that would be perfect you know mm -hmm. nice diffused light nice nice and even but for artistic photographer you know and the way i like to try and approach things uh, the ring flash really sort of stays in the photography cupboard a lot most of the time it's yeah, yeah. not something i really yeah. want to be maybe people, up, i, I but, see so. those with people who photograph maybe insects inverts really up close where you know yeah. just, and they want to just get a, a light that surrounds versus um an off-camera flash they normally have yeah if you're, you're trying to create those cutouts so an insect on a white background for example perfect for yeah. that sort of thing um, yeah, you know, but, uh, but I have a random question for you both. Now that I'm thinking about it, uh, catch light. What do you think about that? That was a standard years ago. And when you shoot a bird or anything with a flash, you always get a catch light. And that used to be a thing. You want a catch light in the eye. I feel like now 
Well, tell me what you both think. I feel like photographers don't care about catch light as much. It's not a thing, you know, like it was years ago. It was like a standard. I don't know. What do you all think of that? Well, part of the problem, I think, is, you know, we have started seeing photography on Instagram. So, you know, you got to, uh, how do you even see a catch light, right? Mm-hmm. Good point. You know, so that's one issue. I think that's part of the problem. People are just, we live in a world, okay, so something, unless it's super artificially saturated or in your face, cropped in, you know, like the attention grabbing images. So flashlight is, is sort of hard to see on this. People have flashlight, it's a cash lights because, you know, the sun, if you're out in the sun, you're going to have a shot of the sun. So the whole purpose of that, if you have light, if you're shooting somebody indoors with an artificial light, you're going to have a cash light. So that's, you know, again, goes back to the point you want to make it natural. So if you show me an image and when, you know, you have an image of, for example, of a red fox and you capture it with, you know, captraption or some sort of motion trigger and then you have three cash lights i mean that that's fake right so yeah. and you know nobody has a cash light even though we know that it was done using a flash doesn't matter if it was three flashes versus one flash the human mind is like wants it to be as close to normal as you want it to be so i would still prefer it to be you know natural like one cash light so to speak yeah yeah does it does it really so if if you have a cash light and, and things you don't have a red eye, I think you've done a good job. The whole point is to make the flash be artistic, do something that you normally don't see, or make it, you know, enhance the details, make it look natural. And then if you have, you know, if you have a cash light, you have a cash light. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like exactly a- that, that's exactly what I was gonna say actually myself, that if the image comes out and it looks natural, then that's the sort of look that I'm looking for. I mean, if, if you've got those sort of two or three catch lights, almost like looking up in the sky and seeing two moons, it just looks a bit weird, you know. You know it, Welcome you're to Endor, to Mr. Fox. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. <laughs> so, so. <laughs> exactly. Do, do, do you know what I mean? I think, it, yes, it has to look natural, but I think that a catch light uh, always elevates, you know, because eyes can get a bit lost. Mm-hmm. I think, and and if you've got that extra sort of bit, that bright bit of light, it can draw attention to the eye area, and I think that's what the, the catch light has historically done. And I think it, it's still an important element. It, but I it think draws- it, it's to, yeah, to, to Curran's point, if it's looking, uh, you know, unnatural, then it takes that element away rather than adding to it. If that makes sense, yeah. On a cloudy day, I like to have a little, you know, little starry catch light in the eye if I'm using flash. If you don't use flash, you get, you know, the lower half of the eye is, is you know, richer and the upper half is just kind of more of cloudy, if that makes sense, yeah. right? It's, it's half and half. That look is okay, just personal preference, but it's evolved over the years. A lot of the old, a lot of the old school photographers I talk to, they like that little starry catch light, you know, in, in every eye. I don't know if that was a, a standard back then, but... Uh, it seems to be evolving, you know, now. Unfortunately, I mean, all the photography has changed, right? So we, we live in the Instagram era in, you know, or social media era, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, which I think has changed photography and how people, you know, want to 
portray their art and you know you have grown-ass men doing tiktok reels uh, i mean that's, that's not not but, me <laughs> yeah i am a photographer Yet. and i took this image nah, yeah. nah, nah, nah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's why you have my respect still rob so you know <laughs> but uh, you know a reel shows up i don't know about that but <laughs> but you know it, it's, I, it's, I do my best to avoid them but uh yeah <laughs> Same here. So it's, the, it's I mean, the algorithm, you know. The algorithm needs the real. Yeah. yeah. So it's just you keep it natural, you know. As much as you keep it natural, I think it's pleasing. It's it's a tool. It's a tool that enhances your image if done right. You know, it's a tool that should not be overused. It should. It's a tool that you shouldn't be scared of. It can create a beautiful artistic element. You know, you can use it to freeze motion. You know, you can use it to expand your dynamic range. So there's there's so many uses of flash, right? So many uses. I mean, there are, believe it or not, there are people who actually use it for landscape, which was mind-boggling to me when I first saw that. But but they'll, they'll expose for the background, and then they'll, you know. Uh, expose the foreground with a little bit of flash as they take the exposure and and and, and you know and and so it, it it's got so many uses you know play with it use a model you know experiment with manual experiment with ttl uh experiment with placing the flash all different places experiment with exposure you know if an animal seems perturbed don't use it and I, th I think it's a, it's just a great asset, you know. I think I think that's a that's a really good summary of all the points that we've we've talked about, and probably a really good place to 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 leave it and wrap things up. So yeah, no, I mean, there's there's so much we could go on and talk about. I mean, as with all of these sort of podcasts, as you as you as you go on and have these conversations, you know, it sparks these ideas and these things, these little sort of rabbit holes that you want to keep diving down and exploring. Uh, you know, and it's been one of those conversations. So there is so much more we could talk about, but you know, you know do people want to listen for two or three hours? Probably, <laughs> probably good to keep it to sort of an hour or, or or thereabouts, which is which is you know, well, we're over that, but uh, I don't suppose people will, will mind. But uh, no, it's been a fascinating conversation again. Thank you, thank you so much for for coming yeah, thanks, on, Karim, and, uh, you know. Thanks, and, 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 and yeah. having having the chat with us about it, um, Kuram, if, if people don't know how they can get hold of you, I mean, you should do by now. And the, 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 most people, I think, listening to this will probably be following you on Instagram. But, uh, but yeah. why don't you bring out your uh, your Instagram uh, handle for everybody Insta so they can go and check you out? First name underscore Khan, last name underscore photos. So Kuram underscore Khan underscore photos. That's Instagram. And KurumKhanPhotos.com is my website, which I, I will probably, you know, update twice a year. Uh, but uh, mostly Instagram on a day-to-day -day basis. Great stuff. Well, I'll, I'll put those links anyway in the show notes. Um, Absolutely. You know, for everybody, yeah. so they can they they can click on those links directly. But uh, no, it's been it's been great having you on, and uh, you know, been a really really good discussion. So so thanks for thanks for your time. I know you're you're a very busy man. Well, no, yeah. never photography. So. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but I, I know you're busy with your family and busier with work and everything. So it's uh, yeah, I really do appreciate you know your time yeah, for coming on and, and and having the chat. It's been it's, it's been great. And right. uh, you know, I said great to chat to you as well, Josh. As yeah. always, yeah, and, good uh, conversation. Yeah. 
so I'm not sure what we're going to do next in terms of a, of a podcast. Um, I know we've been trying to get um, Rebecca on to talk about Shetland, uh, you know, and our experiences there. And hopefully, you know, that, uh, you know, we'll be able to organize that that soon because that'll be a, a good uh, discussion. Having sort of been there for the first time myself uh, earlier, uh, beginning of June, I know you guys went a couple of weeks after me. So uh, and haven't right. even gone through your pictures yet. <laughs> You've been posting some stuff. You're way ahead of us, Rob. I have, but I haven't been posting the best stuff. Mm, You're saving it. I'm saving it. I'm saving it. it. Uh, I posted (laughs) one image, so I got to work on that. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see some of you, some of your stuff. So, uh, if you don't want to share it on uh, social media, just, just email me a few, few little samples. Yeah, yeah, we'll do. But interested to see what you come up with. You haven't processed anything other than that one image. Yeah, no, I'm 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 interested to see what you guys took because I know that you. Well, I mean, Rebecca said to me that you guys are hardcore. You did what <laughs> two weeks, two weeks of Shetland, and you didn't yeah. sleep very much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's what the after that's what the afternoons for. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah, you make the best of the be- you know the best light. Yeah, uh, I completely yeah. agree. Anyway, guys, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, chatting away to you, uh, you know, about a fascinating subject. So uh, I hope everybody listening uh, has has enjoyed that and have got something out of it. Uh, If you have, then uh, do make sure that you give us a like, uh, leave us a comment, you know, tell us what you think about, you know, about the show, about the discussion, tell us what you'd like to to hear more about, to have us talk about, uh, you know, there, you know, make some suggestions in the comments. That's always, always great. And of course, give us a rating as well. Because that really helps the algorithm uh, find us and you know put us out to broadcasters to, to more people, which is the whole point of this, of course. So uh, if you've got something out of it, then you know hopefully there are other people out there you know that can get something out of it as well. So by giving us you know comments and ratings and all that nice stuff, then uh, then it really helps the podcast out. It would be uh, much appreciated. Anyway. Uh, Guys, thanks once again. Been great to chat. Um, Thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, we'll see you all again in the next one. Have a good night, everybody. Take care. Thanks. You have been listening to the Wildlife Photography Podcast. If you have enjoyed the content, then please help us to spread the word by sharing a link on your social media platforms, giving us a like, and leaving us a comment. See you all again next time.